Will it blend? That is the question. Why don't you push one of those buttons on the other end there? There you go. Welcome to Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Hannah Jaffewald. Today is Friday, January 21st, and that was the sound of Tom Dixon from the video blog willitblend.com. You heard at the top he was blending two dozen credit cards. And why we played that sound at the top, it'll make sense in a second. We're going to take you to a room where government agents grind T-shirts into dust, saw gym shoes in half, and we're going to find out what that has to do with how much you and I pay for our clothes. But first, as always, the Planet Money Indicator. Our own Jacob Goldstein is on vacation in Costa Rica right now, so I'm going to be filling in for as he's trying to fill in. Okay. Hello, Alex. What's the Planet Money Indicator? Today's indicator, 10.3%. That is the rate at which China's economy grew last year. And that is a really fast rate of growth and probably means that China will officially become the second biggest economy in the world after, number one, the United States So we did a podcast about the first quarter that China overtook Japan, number two economy right now. And it was a big sign that this moment was coming, that we will probably see China be number two. This is an even bigger step to making it official. Right. Japan, the current number two, still has to release its official data. But basically, they will need a monster growth number to catch back up with China. And most analysts think that they're not going to get that number. So really great news for China. But there are some downsides, as we like to point out on the Planet Money Indicator. 10.3% growth. It's hard to have that rate of growth and not cause inflation in an economy. So the official inflation rate in China is 4.6%. Those are the government numbers. But a lot of independent analysts think that inflation rate might actually be higher. And regardless, it doesn't really accurately capture prices for a lot of things that people need, like houses and education, healthcare, and a big one, food. And prices in all of those things are rising very rapidly, much more rapidly than that 4.6% number. And that could be why a consumer confidence survey taken in China recently at the end of 2010 showed that there was actually a pretty big decline in consumer confidence. A lot of the stuff that people need in China is getting more expensive. And even with a rapidly growing economy, people are still feeling a little poorer. And so we should end on the down note. Thank you, Alex Bloomberg. I'm trying to do my best Goldstein. (laughs) Okay, so can you come back to do the rest of the show with me now? All right, here we go. Let's kick it off. So as many of our listeners know, we're in the middle of the Planet Money t-shirt project, (laughs) a project which has been going on for a long time. The idea is that we're going to make a t-shirt from scratch, report on all the aspects that go into making that t-shirt, where we grow the cotton, where we make the yarn, where we get the t-shirt sewn and put together. And we thought that by now, January 2011, we would have actual T-shirts, that that was a very likely possibility. (laughs) We thought it'd be simple. So far, we are not quite there. And along the way, we have screwed up numerous times. We screwed up even in the very first step. We thought getting the design would be easy for the T-shirt. It is not easy. The company we hired to do the design, we just learned, went out of business. Rest in peace, Tinker London. We'll miss you. Yes. And trust me, we've screwed up many more times than I'm even going to talk about right now. So, so far, here is where we are. We have four bales of cotton, and we're zeroing in on a design. That's very exciting. We're looking at making the yarn. That's the next step in North Carolina, but we're still not sure about that. We have to 
consider a few things there. Other things that we're still not sure about, we're not sure where we're going to get the fabric knitted or the shirts cut and sewn. But we do know that those steps will probably happen somewhere abroad, not in the U.S. Which brings us to the subject of today's podcast. It turns out when you bring clothing in from abroad, there is this huge complicating factor, our own government and the laws that it has passed. The laws on importing clothing, as I've been learning lately, are unbelievably complicated. And when you learn about them, it leads you into these very strange places, like a lab in a semi-abandoned building at the edge of a spit of land, where government scientists use medical devices to do awful things to gym shoes. (laughs) That's quite a headline. Okay, so we are going to be hearing all about that today, but we are going to start our journey just with the basic question. If we bring a T-shirt manufactured abroad into the U.S., how much are we going to have to pay in import duties? And to answer that question and make sure that we don't make yet another mistake, I visited a professional. I ran out of paper trying to print out the knit chapter 61 of the tariff schedule. About a half inch of pages here. You can see that chapter 61 covers articles of apparel and clothing and accessories knitted or crocheted. Michael Cohn is an animated trade lawyer with a practice in a townhouse on Manhattan's east side. And to help answer our question about what we need to know about importing a T-shirt, he's leafing through Chapter 61 of this enormous document, The Harmonized Tariff Schedule of the United States. And this is a book, Alex, that you and I are both quite fascinated with. It (laughs) is huge and hugely important. We've done a few podcasts about this book already, The Harmonized Tariff Schedule of the United States, because it is basically the last word on how much it costs to bring in everything you could possibly imagine that you would want to bring into the United States. It tells you how much it's going to cost to do it. You can actually see for yourself if you want. You can go to the United States International Trade Commission website and scroll through this massive document. And you can learn, for example... As I'm looking through right now, polymers of vinyl chloride cost 6.5% to import, but polymers of vinyl acetate, they're a bargain at only 4%. Ooh. (laughs) I remember this book when I was doing my story and talking with people who work with this book every day. They have it in 12 big black binders, and, and just scrolling through it, there's literally everything. Like, you'll see here, okay... Section 1904, prepared foods obtained by the swelling or roasting of cereals or cereal products, for example, cornflakes, 1.1%. Section 8604, railway or tramway maintenance or service vehicles, whether or not self-propelled, 2.9%. Section 9401, swivel seats with variable height adjustments. Those are free. The seats that we're sitting on right now came in (laughs) duty-free. So the natural question, why is it like this? Why does this book exist? Why are these duty rates so different and seemingly arbitrary? Well, that is basically a whole podcast in itself. We could do one just on swivel seats alone. But the very basic story, tariffs have been around for centuries. They used to be the main way the government brought in revenue. This was before the income tax. They got most of their money from tariffs. And a lot of these rules are historical. At some point, some domestic industry lobbied Congress to keep tariffs high on whatever, toothbrushes or vinyl chloride or whatever. And then Congress passes the law, and then the law goes into the tariff code. And maybe the swivel chair lobby has gotten pretty weak recently, and so now swivel chairs are free because nobody's fighting for the tariff anymore. Or maybe swivel chairs was one of those things that was never made in this country. You don't know. I want to do the swivel chair podcast. (laughs) We should. Okay, so the trend over the last few years with this book is that the tariffs in it are going down. Michael Cohn, the lawyer, says that 30 years ago, tariffs would routinely be 50 or 60 percent. And today, the weighted average on tariffs on all items is really low. It's under 2 percent. The exception, unfortunately for us, 
is in the one area we really care about, apparel. <laughs> Almost half of all the duties collected in the United States are on apparel or footwear. Tariffs on apparel or footwear tend to be higher than on anything else. And the laws that govern importing apparel or footwear, they get really complicated really fast, even for something as seemingly simple as a T-shirt. So back in Michael's office, we finally find the part of the tariff code that deals with T-shirts, section 6109. Ta-da, 6109. It says T-shirts. All right. So so that's our heading, 6109. 6109. So 16.5%. So that's Mm -hmm. what we have to pay to bring in a T-shirt. That's the tax that we're going to pay if we bring it in from anywhere other than the United States. Generally, that's correct. Oh, there's a but here. There is a but. There's always a but in customs law. (laughs) I have to say there's actually always a lot of buts, it seems to me. It depends on where you import the shirt from, whether it has a collar or not, and what the shirt is actually made of. That's a big one. If you had made the decision uh, to manufacture your knit T-shirts from man-made fibers, uh, the normal duty rate is 32%. And we're talking, of course, polyester, uh, rayon, things like that. So it's twice as much almost to bring in a polyester shirt as it is to bring in a cotton shirt. That's correct. That's correct. And usually the man-made fibers throughout the tariff schedule, whether it's fabric or apparel, usually man-made fibers, which we refer to as MMF in the trade, are substantially more expensive than cotton and flax and other natural fibers. And that's where you can see some shenanigans uh, going on by some dishonest importers. Because there's a huge incentive here to sort of say your shirt is cotton when in fact it's polyester, because it's half as much. There's a huge incentive. Uh-huh. You know, you, and, and especially in today's economy where people are shopping all the time at dollar stores. All right, so wherever there is an incentive to break rules, to skirt rules, to get around the rules, there are people whose job it is to enforce the rules. And Hana, I found those people. <laughs> I visited the place where they enforce the tariff rules, where they track down and catch dishonest importers who are lying about what their shirts are made of. It's this high-tech CSI lab where they use science to catch tariff law violators. Laboratory, um, Los Angeles Laboratory, is housed in the back portion of um, this building, what looks like an abandoned building. And I got to say, it really did look like an abandoned building. Sheila Ng is my guide here, and she's the director of the lab, and she was giving me this tour. And to get to this lab, we needed to drive over this really long causeway deep into the heart of the L.A. Long Beach seaport. And, you know, a port, you think it sort of sounds like it's a bustling place, but modern ports are so huge, you're just driving and driving past these huge lots piled with shipping containers, and it's feels pretty empty of people. And then you add to that, on the day that I visited, Long Beach was in the middle of this sort of freak rainstorm for Southern California. So the rain was just pouring and the wind was howling and it was dark. It's the middle of winter and we're pulling into the seemingly abandoned parking lot at what feels like the end of the world. And basically, I'm lucky to be out of there alive is what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm so impressed. Wow. You went through rain in the winter in Los Angeles to get to this reporting gig. And then you met like narcotics traffickers or something? No, no. I was interviewing very gentle scientists in lab coats. People like Vondi Forrester, who at the moment I arrived, was actually testing to see whether a coat that someone was importing was indeed waterproof, as the importer was claiming. And so she just cut a small swatch from the coat. And then I put a 8 by 8 inch swatch and then mount it on a a board. Then I'm going to hit it with the water. 
Sivandi explains to me that if your item of clothing is waterproof, it gets a much lower duty rate than regular clothes. So importers are always claiming that their clothes are waterproof, even if they're not. So the way it works, one of Vandi's colleagues at a different office might suspect an importer of not telling the truth or misclassifying something for whatever reason. They'll pull a sample and send it to Vandi, and then Vandi will find out if you're telling the truth or not. And I actually saw it with my own eyes. So you can see here. It's, it's failing. Oh, yeah, because the water is going through to the blotter. Right through. All right, so verdict, not water-resistant. Not water-resistant. So they got to pay a higher duty. They have to pay a higher, higher duty. So this facility was so crazy. It's like a cross between a university science lab and a theater props department. There are these long workbenches. There are burners and flasks. And Vondi was indeed wearing a white lab coat. But then everywhere you look, there are racks of clothing or spools of thread or shoes or bolts of fabric. And then the question about everything here is, is it made from what the importer says it's made from? Vondi actually really loves to find out the answer. I love to find out. I'm a detective of fibers and fabrics. I like to find out what it is, how it's made, and I love ripping stuff apart. <laughs> so that that last part, the ripping stuff apart, there's a lot of that that goes on here, <laughs> especially when it comes to shoes. I'm so surprised that they actually cut into the products. Like, she cut out a little swatch. Yeah, yeah. They'll pull, they'll pull one. I mean, there's, like, huge shipping containers full of this stuff. So, you so know, they'll one. they'll destroy one. Yeah, they'll destroy one, yeah. So I remember shoes, actually, from the tariff schedule, that that was a huge thing. Like, if a shoe is over 50% leather and the upper is connected to the sole by adhesive, then it would be one price. But by a foxing band, then it's another price. Right. There's a lot of talk about foxing bands and foxing-like <laughs> bands when you discuss shoes. And Marian Fedorov is another scientist at the lab, like Vondi. And she says that to verify that importers are telling the truth that their shoes are, say, over 50% leather, you have to rip the shoes apart. One of the tools that we like to use to do that is an autopsy saw. It does a really nice job of cutting through the leather, textile, and rubber plastic components that we're trying to separate. So you're about to cut this shoe. Here you go. And this shoe thing is so weird because, like, you you know, I mean, Marion is constantly seeing people who do what's called tariff engineering, where they're trying to make their shoes really weird to get around these things. And you start wondering, you can't help but wonder, wait, is the result of, like, a certain footwear trend, is that, was that part of the tariff code? Was that a response to the tariff code? Like, for example, flip-flops apparently are much cheaper to bring in than sandals. And there's a technical distinction between a flip-flop and a sandal. And I was wondering, well, wait, was that the reason for the whole flip-flop craze? Like, it's just cheaper to import. <laughs> it wasn't just that people liked flip-flops, but it was that the manufacturers liked not paying the extra tariff. Right. So they wanted us to like flip-flops. Yeah. And of course, even t-shirts, Hana, are not safe in this facility. So remember how polyester t-shirts are twice as much to import as cotton t-shirts. And that holds true even if it's 60% polyester and 40% cotton. But if it's 60% cotton and 40% polyester, then you get the cotton rate. And so you want your shirt to be more than 50% cotton. But how, how do you tell if a manufacturer is telling the truth? Maybe they're just saying it's more than 50% cotton, but it's actually 60% polyester. Vandi, the scientist, says you need another implement of destruction. It's a meat grinder for fabric. <laughs> so the way this works, cotton, it will dissolve in acid. Polyester doesn't. So you take a swatch of a shirt, grind it up, douse it in acid, and then you weigh what's left over. Basically, in order to do a chemical extraction, I have to make lint. So... I'm going to be grinding up the fibers into lint. So you're cutting a swatch here? Right, and we're going to feed it. Oh, all I 
hear when I hear that sound is our t-shirt that we're going to spend like years making is going to end up in a blender in Los Angeles. Well, one small part of one of our t-shirts might end up in a blender if it gets flagged. It's pretty unlikely that one of our shirts will get blended. Okay, so the fact that you have these tariffs and that you have basically politicians and special interests determining whether or not we wear flip-flops or sandals or whether or not we make a cotton or polyester t-shirt, economists really hate this idea. Right. It's a distortion. And also, if you think about it, it's basically just a tax, 37% tariff on shoes. That is just making your shoes a lot more expensive. That comes out of your pocket. But it's an invisible tax. Like most of us don't even see that we're paying an extra 30% to the government when we buy sneakers, except when you're in this room and you realize that everything we wear, everything that we see in the stores, it has this crazy backstory. And sometimes that backstory is actually sort of gruesome. Like at one point we're on this tour and Sheila Eng, the lab director, and I were walking by a pile of children's parkas. This sample right here, which is a children's parka, which has a um, faux fur on the hood, Probably about three years ago, we had a lot of jackets that were supposedly thought by even the people who, um, the companies who were importing thought they were faux fur, and come to find out it was, you know, um, domestic dog and cat. And we we had samples in the laboratory where we had to make that determination. Wait a minute, I'm still, my mind is still blown. People said it was faux fur and it was actually, they were actually like cat hides and dog hides? Yes. 101 Dalmatians is coming to my mind. Yes. yes. Well, you know, Cruella de Vil did have a you know, jacket. We don't know if it is uh, actual Dalmatian or not, but uh, she would not be able to import that in the United States. So, the, so these children's parkas were coming in made of cats and dogs. Yes. So you just had a kid. Are you going to be getting Calvin a cat and dog parka? <laughs> no faux fur for Calvin. That's hard to say. I might like to get Calvin a dog at some point, but I don't want him to have a, a coat made out of dog. <laughs> <laughs> and you might avoid anything that says faux fur ever again. Yeah. Well, I mean, these people are on it. You know, they caught them. So. But hanging out with these scientists at this government lab, you learn all sorts of tricks that people use to try to get around the tariff rules. And one of the main ones is to change your product in some small way, to add a little something to it that will sort of nudge it into a different category. So it'll nudge it from like clothing to something else or fabric to something else. And the one category that people are always trying to bump their products into, toys. Toys. I know. I was going to say toys are always free, right? I remember that from going to the Seattle port. Yeah. It's just one of the quirks of the tariff code. Toys are almost always free. And so I talked to this guy, Mark Turatelli. He's an import specialist, which means he's the guy that flags suspect shipments. And then he'll sometimes send samples to the lab for analysis. He is in charge of fabrics and yarn. And he says... This category blurring, it can get sort of existential sometimes. We have had a a recent issue with um, pillows that are shaped like pets or or like stuffed animals. So basically he's talking about this one item. It's a pillow, but it sort of unfolds into a stuffed animal with a head and arms and a tail. So when it's folded up, it's a pillow. But when it's unfolded, it's a toy. And the difference between these two classifications is millions of dollars potentially for this importer. The question kind of becomes, are are they a pillow? at 6% duty under 9404, or are they a, a stuffed toy, which is duty-free in Chapter 95? What was your, what was your thought process in, to arrive at your classification? Yeah, we go through, we kind of look at it. One of the things we have to look at is essential character under 3B. Does it have an essential character of a certain type of, um, is it a toy, is it is it a pillow? Does it look? Does it take those kind of features? So yeah, so we, you're trying to get at the, literally what is the essence of this object in front of me? Correct. 
So we have to figure out somehow how to make our Planet Money T-shirt into it's a toy. It's a T-shirt and it's a toy. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, I was actually thinking about that. Originally, I thought maybe we just make them waterproof. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. But it turns out the waterproof exception doesn't count for T-shirts. But there is this one other loophole that I learned from Mark Tiratelli. Make it festive. Make your t- make your T-shirt festive and then you don't have to pay taxes on it? Yeah, or anything. If it has to do with a holiday or a special occasion, <laughs> it's duty-free. So we could just put like a tiny reindeer on the sleeve and then we'd get it duty-free? No, that's not enough, according to Mark. You can't just slap a reindeer on something. In his words, and he literally said this to me, only if it's a reindeer with a red nose. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I want a festive T-shirt. Oh, come on. A little menorah or like a shamrock? No, not into it. All right, it's going to cost you. My heart's an so you can check out these really cool pictures of cotton and polyester thread magnified hundreds of times. They look surprisingly different from each other. That's on our blog, npr.org slash money. And we will put a link to the website, Will It Blend, that you heard at the top of the show. A must-see. <laughs> you can always send us your questions and comments, thoughts to planetmoney at npr.org. I'm Hannah Jaffe-Walt. And I'm Alex Bloomberg. Thanks for listening. I dreamt 